just here to cause chaos. See, when you don't randomly stop in the middle, it works. Trying to be considerate and wait up for you, Sam. No, that makes it worse. Fine. All right, Sam, who are we actually learning about today? Because I don't know. We're learning about Annie Oakley. Oh! <laughs> Here I thought it'd be Marie Curie, so this is a surprise. Yeah, I opened my computer this morning and was like, you know what? It's gonna be Annie Oakley. <laughs> and I noticed this is gonna be the first time we're doing two weeks in a row in like the same time period, because Annie Oakley was also late 1800s, early 1900s, much like uh, Nellie Bly. I think they were friends. No, very different vibes. <laughs> yeah, they they probably did not either meet or get along no are you ready to learn about the greatest female sharpshooter of all time i am so ready to learn tell me all about her okay well she was born phoebe ann moses on august 13th 1860 in dark county ohio but her family nicknamed her annie pretty much from the get-go she was one of six children from her father jacob and her mother susan However, her father Jacob died when she was only six years old from pneumonia, and since this was the 1860s, her mom didn't really have any means to support the family after that, you know, because she was a woman. This is all sounding very familiar. Yeah. So she quickly remarried in order to like take care of her children and had another kid, so now she was up to seven kids, but the second husband died shortly after the birth of the seventh <laughs> child. <laughs> And this wasn't great for the family, so... <laughs> it's like, not only did he die, he left an extra mouth to feed. Yeah. The age of eight or nine, Annie went to go live in the Dark County Infirmary with the Eddington family. This is where they housed elderly, orphaned, and mentally ill people in her area. Oh, great. Um, <laughs> Sounds but, like a real wholesome environment to grow up in. Yeah. And while she was there, she worked as a helper for the younger children, and she also received an education from Mrs. Eddington in womanly things such as sewing and housework and cooking and whatnot, because, you know, that's what she was supposed to learn. Oh, well, they are useful skills. They are actually really useful skills. I was sewing right before I got on this call. <laughs> so she lived in that facility till she was 13 or 14. And then for a very short period of time, she stayed with an abusive family who she referred to as the wolves in her memoirs. But that is all we know about this family. She didn't stay with them very long and she didn't ever refer to them by name. And then I stayed with the wolves. Next question. <laughs> so then after that short stint, she went back to her family and lived with her mom. So by this time, her mom had remarried for the third time. However, there was still like no money. So she needed to like help the family out a little bit and make money. And before her dad died, Annie used to always tag along with him to go hunting and trapping in the woods. And like, she said that the first shot she ever hit was when she was only eight years old. And it to until she died, she said that was one of her most proud shots. She hit a squirrel from her porch that was sitting on the fence, like on the other side of their property, clean in the head like well enough that they could still use the meat which is a really impressive shot if you know anything about shooting good for her yeah so i'm assuming she's like all right i have to help support my family so she's gonna go into hunting but yeah. what if she goes into crime 
No, she does not go into crime. I'm sorry. Okay, we're building up there. All right. <laughs> she got out her dad's old rifle and began to hunt small game, and then she would sell the game to the local grocer, who then would in turn sell it to hotels and restaurants in Cincinnati, which was like 80 miles away. But she was like ridiculously good at this. She was such a successful hunter that she was able to pay $200 off of her mom's mortgage at age 15. And, like, this is $200 in 1875, so. Damn, I haven't contributed anything to my parents' mortgage. Right? (laughs) She was incredibly good at hunting. Also, at age 15, one of the hotel owners who bought her game, a guy named Jack Frost, invited her to come participate in a shooting contest in Cincinnati against a well-known marksman who was like doing a traveling tour at the time named Frank Butler. Frank Butler was age 28. I'm just going to drop that in here now. Okay. How old is Annie Oakley? 15. Oh, I don't like where this is going. (laughs) So Annie actually won the match. She got 25 out of 25 shots hitting the target while butler only got 24 out of his 25 shots so you know take that butler yeah but frank was so impressed by this he started dating annie and they actually got married the next year in august 23rd Uh, 1876 god even the feminist icons in this era getting with these uncomfortably older men (laughs) Yeah. <sighs> However, I do stand Frank. I'm not going to lie to you. You'll find out why. Okay. He's yeah. going to have to do a lot to win me over. Yeah. I also, when I was reading this, I didn't realize the age difference right away. So, like, I stand Frank before I realized that he was 13 years older than her. But you know what? It's fine. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, the two of them began touring together and did their first show as like a duo on may 1st 1882 up until that point annie was traveling around with him as his assistant so she would like hold the targets and do a couple shots of her own but like it was his show but then on may 1st 1882 frank's usual partner was sick so annie filled in and she was a huge hit from the get-go like everyone loved her this was when she took on the stage name of oakley instead of moses which was her like birth last name however off stage, she always insists people refer to her as Mrs. Frank Butler. So Annie Oakley was really only like her stage name. Okay. Yeah. Although why wasn't she, I feel like she should have been in the show from the beginning. Well, so she like, was in the show from the beginning, but she wasn't like the main event from the beginning. This was when she became like his partner, like no longer just yeah. like the secondary character. She's already better than Frank, though. I agree. Um, and Frank very quickly realizes it, too. But, you know. I guess at the time period. I'm going to give Frank a lot of credit because eventually he becomes just her assistant and manager, like, doesn't even perform anymore. He's like, she's so much better than me that I'm just going to, like, take care of her. Okay. Keep going. What happens next? Yeah, I'm a big fan (laughs) of Frank for that fact eventually. (laughs) Yeah, but for the next few years, they traveled as a pair, giving shooting expositions and they had a dog named George who was a very important part of their act so I thought that was important to mention. I already love him. Yeah. Uh, George would like they would shoot an apple off of George's head and things like that. Oh wait. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) 
I guess they are the world's best sharpshooters. Yeah. In March 1884, Oakley performed in St. Paul, Minnesota, where she met and befriended the leader of the Lakota tribe, Sitting Bull. You might recognize that name because he is most well known for beating General Custer at the Battle of Little Bighorn in 1876. Good. Yeah. So he's kind of like an icon and one of those like histories that you always never hear about in history class, but you're always like, cool guy. Yeah. Sitting Bull was her biggest fan. <laughs> at the time of the show, he was actually a political prisoner at Fort Yates, but the U.S. government was sending him off to do like appearances because they're gross. That's weird. Yeah, no. Wasn't a fan of that fact. But they happened to be in St. Paul, Minnesota at the same time. And so Sitting Bull saw her show and then was like, I really like this chick and sent her $65 in exchange for an autographed picture. At which point she got that and was like, oh, no way I'm taking this money. She sent back an autographed picture and the money and was like, is it cool if I come by tomorrow morning and say hi? <laughs> and so she did. And they became like besties. Sitting Bull even insisted on making her his adopted daughter, formerly by the practices of his people, and christened her with the name Watanya Sicilia, which translates to Little Sure Shot, which is a really famous nickname for her. Oh, yeah, no, adorable. They were really cute up until like both of their deaths. They only had nice things to say about each other. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And so that was just like a fun friendship that I felt the need to make sure it got in here. Oh, I definitely need to know this. Yeah. In 1884, the butlers joined the Sells Brothers Circus, which was just like one of the big circuses at the time, but they only stayed with them for one season. And then, like, went out to go do their own thing again. But about a year later, they joined up with, in 1885, they joined up with Buffalo Bill's Wild West show, which is what she's most famous for. Um, so the head of the Buffalo Bill show was a guy named Buffalo Bill Cody. And he originally actually refused to hire Oakley when she approached him because he already had an expert marksman on his team, a guy named Captain Adam Borgidas. However, in late 1884, a steamboat sank in the Mississippi River, and while Borgidas survived, his prized guns didn't, and he struggled really hard to, like, adjust to a new gun and eventually just, like, quit the sh show business in March 1885, which left the spot open for Oakley. Yeah, none of that was how I thought that was gonna go. <laughs> yeah. At first, like, every step of that story, I was like, oh, he's sexist. No, he has another guy. Oh, she's gonna beat him in a shootout. No, he was on a steamboat that Oh, he died. No, his guns did. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that whole story was hilarious. Okay, so she's with Buffalo Bill, and just so we're clear, Buffalo Bill owns essentially a sideshow act and is not a violent criminal. Yes. Okay, that's Billy the Kid. Yes. Two of them. There's a lot of people named Bill at this time. I think it was just a super common name. <laughs> okay. But the Buffalo Bill show was the first time that Oakley received top billing instead of being like a sidekick or a partner to her husband. Now it was like the Annie Oakley show and he was like the sidekick assistant character. Amazing. Yeah, she was- Finally, the credit she deserves. Yeah. No, she was the one on the signs being like, champion Mark's woman, Annie Oakley. She 
like had all these like famous bits that people knew her for she would like shoot holes in playing cards and cigarettes out of her husband's mouth and glass balls out <laughs> of the air pretty badass um, yeah i couldn't do any of that no i once shot a bullseye but it was three targets away so they didn't count that <laughs> i'm not a bad shot but like i would definitely wouldn't try and shoot a cigarette out of my husband's mouth no yeah, but she always insists on wearing very, like, simple, modest clothes instead of, like, the big costumes that other people on the show would wear because she was like, my shooting is the show. It doesn't matter what I'm wearing. I don't want to distract from my shooting. Like, this this skill of mine is what you're here to see, not me in some fancy dress. Heck, yeah. No one tells Annie Oakley what to wear. No. And so this was also the point at which Butler... Her husband, Frank Butler, was like, you know what, actually, I don't need to be in the show. What if I just, like, hold your targets and manage us? So, I love him. <laughs> yeah. And so the two of them stayed with Buffalo Bill's show for 17 years. Wow. Yeah, which is, like, a really long time. Especially in, like, the late 1800s where, like, lifespans weren't that long. Hey, so, quick question. At any point, does she become a criminal? No, she's not going to be a criminal. Oh, frick. <laughs> Who did I you think Annie of? Oakley was? I thought she was on the other side of Sharpshooter, like Bonnie and Clyde and Billy the Kid and oh. <laughs> the Cowboys who murdered people. No, she was a Wild West show performer. So there's no crime in this story. I mean, there's like one crime, but she didn't commit it and we're not there yet. Okay. Fine. Yeah. In 1887, the Buffalo Bills toured England as part of Queen Victoria's Golden Jubilee, and Oakley was, like, the main event. So she was, like, touring England, and then later on they toured all over Europe. By 1889, she had performed in 14 countries, and she was a hit, particularly with women. She was used as evidence that shooting shows were not only for men but could be enjoyed by women and children too and she also used her like platform to encourage women all over the world to learn to use pistols as self-defense weapons good for her yeah also during this tour she won wimbledon on july 20th 1887 because back in this time wimbledon wasn't only a tennis match it was like a summer sports event and they had a shooting competition which she won all right, right it, up there with Serena Williams. I love yeah. it. Yeah, and she didn't. She like usually shot like a hunting rifle, but she actually won the competition with a pistol. So like, it just showed that she was proficient in like all these different kinds of guns. Yeah, she's no guy who only uses his treasured <laughs> guns that sink in a steamboat. Yeah, no, she she's better than him. <laughs> also, the Prince of Wales, the future King Edward the Seventh, watched that match. So. Nice, nice. And then we hit the end of her time with the Buffalo Bills because in 1901, she had a train accident, which really injured her back and Aww. she couldn't really do as much traveling. So she had to leave the show, unfortunately. Man. However, she con continued to perform without traveling as much and eventually joined the Young Buffalo show in 1911. And so around this time, she also became a representative of the Union Metallic Cartridge Company in Connecticut which was a bullet company of the time, but pretty much meant that she was sponsored, which is pretty epic for being a woman sharpshooter in the early 1900s. Wow. 
Yeah. And speaking of sponsors. <laughs> we don't have any. <laughs> if you need a product, just buy a product. Anyway. <laughs> You'd like to thank our sponsor, The Patriarchy, for allowing us to have the show. <laughs> so Annie Oakley was sponsored. Good for her. Yes. Yeah. And so then now we hit the crime. <laughs> So, oh, on... finally, crime. Yeah, just a little bit as a treat. Oh, okay. <laughs> on August 11th, 1903, two Chicago newspapers owned by William Randolph Hearst reported that Oakley was destitute and had been arrested for stealing a pair of men's pants to pay for her cocaine ad- addiction. Interesting. Uh, however, Oakley was not in Chicago. She was living with Frank in New Jersey at the time. And there was no evidence that she ever had a drug problem. God damn. So the crime is libel? You got me all built up <laughs> for the crime to be libel? Well, so newspapers across the country started reprinting this false story. And it turned out that the woman who actually had been arrested was a burlesque dancer named Maud Fontanella, who had been playing Annie Oakley, like A-N-Y instead of Annie, <laughs> um, as part of like her burlesque show. And so a lot of newspapers quickly print a retraction when they realized that it was actually Annie Oakley. Oh my god, she was a parody! (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) However, Annie Oakley was pissed that this happened, and she vowed, and I quote, that someone would pay for this dreadful mistake. Yeah, that's suing for libel. Yeah, she filed a $27,000 at the time, which is like an absurd amount of money nowadays. But she filed a $27,000 suit against 55 newspapers who'd printed the story and were owned by Hearst for libel. Amazing. Um, This was the largest libel action the country had ever seen at this point. And she won 54 of the 55 suits, including directly against William Randolph Hearst, which is like a big deal because he owned like all the newspapers. Yeah. He's like the Jeff Bezos of his time. Yeah. No, the whole lawsuit took six years, and she made an absurd amount of money. Good. Still can't believe you got me all built up <laughs> for libel. God. Hey, there was a crime. Any Oakley committed a crime. <laughs> Wrong Oakley, Sam. <laughs> so yeah, moving on from the crime of libel, which is a serious <laughs> crime. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In 1913, the butlers officially retired and they moved to Cambridge, Maryland. And while they were there, they got a new dog named Dave. Yay, Dave! (laughs) The couple didn't have any kids, but they had a lot of dogs throughout their lives and I like mentioning them. I mean, that's beautiful. Yeah. Sometimes a family isn't a mom and dad and a bunch of children. It's a sharpshooter, her manager slash assistant, and a bunch (laughs) of dogs. Yes, exactly. But yeah, in 1917, Oakley's longtime friend and former employer, Buffalo Bill Cody, died, and she actually wrote the eulogy for his funeral. Like, that's how close they had become over their time working together. Aww. That year, she also moved to Pinehurst, North Carolina. I don't know why that was important. I just like to keep us on track of where she is in the world. Cool, cool. So, yeah. we're, in, we're in North Carolina. Great. Mm-hmm. The South. They have good barbecue there. Unless they do. you're in South Carolina, in which case their barbecue sucks. Moving on. Um, what? Oh, I don't want to alienate any potential 
listeners in South Carolina. I think you already did. What's your problem with South Carolina barbecue? I like their No, sauce. no, no. If you're in South Carolina, then I agree with you that North Carolina barbecue is horrible. Unless you're in North Carolina, then I think it's great. <laughs> I just like barbecue in general. I've never understood, like, the feuds. Fine. I mean, I understand them, but, like, I will eat all the barbecue happily. This is why you're not a southerner. I lived in Atlanta for five years. And you still don't know the difference between barbecue. It's tasty. I eat it. That's a good point. You got me there. Thanks. Okay, Carolina. Moving on. <laughs> yeah. You might also notice that I said this was in 1917, which is also the year that the U.S. was pulled into World War One. Ah, uh, I remember that. Yeah. Back so in my day, we called it the Great War. I'm older than you. <laughs> you don't know what I was doing in my past life. Anyway. That's fair. Probably whatever I was doing, because clearly we spent our past lives together. Come on. Adorable. <laughs> okay, yeah, World War One. So Annie offered to the US government that she would fund and raise a unit of all female sharpshooters to fight in the war, which fun fact, she made the same offer during the Spanish-American War. Both times the U.S. government said no because the U.S. government. Ugh, U.S. government. They're always the bad guys. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, then she was like, okay, you don't want me to like train and fight with women. What if I offer to train men in marksmanship because I'm the best at this in the world? And the U.S. government Heck, yeah. was still a bitch and said no. <laughs> <laughs> so what she ended up doing instead was she donated her time to the National War Council of the YMCA the war camp community service in the red cross to train people and also just like help out you know doing her best given what she can yeah i'm just going to assume that she's basically a world war one female captain america like a little bit except for she never got to go overseas that's just because the u.s government is horrible all the time yeah but she did like off the record help train some people through the ymca which i think is hilarious good and Dave, her dog, actually became an official Red Cross dog because he was trained to sniff out donations that were hidden in handkerchiefs. I love it. Yeah, and so that was her time during the war. Uh, I mostly just love the fact that Dave is an official Red Cross dog. He deserves it. He's a good boy. He's such a good boy. <laughs> Throughout her life, she was a huge advocate for women getting equal pay for equal work. She had a lot of opinions on, like, feminism and economics and things like that, and was very outspoken about them. She also advocated for women to be allowed to do military service. However, she was not a suffragette. She was not a suffragette? No. Does she, she not realize that you can vote for women to be able to do these things? She was once quoted saying that the idea of women voting was only acceptable if only the good woman voted. Ooh. So, like, we don't love that. There's so much to unpack in that. Yeah. Ooh. I was, like, going real hard standing here. Like, I'm on, like, page three of my notes right now. And then I saw that, and I was like, mm. Yeah, that's some elitist nonsense anyway. Yeah. So, in 1922, she got bored and wanted to go back on tour because, I guess, retirement is pretty boring. Mm -hmm. And Dave became an integral part of her act. Yay, Dave! 
Yeah, she was. She got really famous for doing the shooting an apple off his head move, which, like, how do you train a dog to sit still that well? I have no idea. I have two dogs. I can barely make them sit at all, let alone sit long enough for me to shoot an apple off their head. Also, Dave is a much better addition to the story than McGinty of last week. <laughs> Dave is a MVP of the story. Dave and George are good puppies. Aww. But yeah. Her new show attracted crowds in Massachusetts, New York, and most major cities she visited, and she was even contracted to play uh, to star in a movie. Ooh! However, at the end of this whirlwind comeback year, she was in a car accident, and she and her husband were both severely injured. God, yeah. been one, must have been like some of the first car accidents. <laughs> I mean, she was in a train accident, that guy lost his guns in a steamboat accident, now she's in a car accident. Like, she was- this story did not have luck with motor vehicles. Yeah, sharpshooters should not take modern transportation. Apparently. God, if she ever went on a plane! <laughs> yeah, no, that wouldn't go well. Alright, so what are the repercussions of this car crash? Yeah, so, it took her more than a year to recover from the accident. So, it wasn't until 1924 that she was able to perform again. And her injuries weren't, like, 100% healed. So by 1925, she be got really frail and was in really poor health as, like, repercussions from the accident and trying to get back on stage too quickly and all that kind of, like, caught up with her. Yeah, I'm just imagining her being like, prop me up, Frank! I can still <laughs> shoot! <laughs> like, honestly, I don't think we're too far off there. <laughs> but her and Frank moved back to Ohio to be near her family because she was getting really sick. And she began to write her memoirs at this time, which were subsequently published in newspapers all over the country. Which, like, I don't know why you published her, why she published her memoirs in newspapers, but the fact that it was all over the country is pretty cool. That's just how people got news. But like, not a book. I mean, no, because books are too. Books are for the rich, Sam. And she's a man of the people. Yeah, don't be so elitist. Sorry. <laughs> Although considering. What she just said. I don't know how much of a woman of the people she is. I mean, I think she was an entertainer for, like, the lower classes, because, like, Wild West shows and sharpshooting and things like that wasn't, like, upper-class entertainment. Eh, fair. But yeah, in 1926, after 50 years of marriage, both butlers died. Oh, no! Yeah. Annie died on November 3rd, and then Frank died only 18 days later because he couldn't live without her on November 21st. Oh, I know it's not adorable. Yeah, wait, wait. Did she just die from like complications from her health, or? Yeah, they both died of natural ca causes after like consequences of the accidents they'd been in, and the fact that they like lived on the road for most yeah. of the period. All right, they didn't get hit by any other form of transportation. No, they both died surrounded by family at home, just like okay. done. You know. Yeah, that that's. Sweet. They had long, adventurous, wild lives together. Good for them. But she was amazing. I mean, she was a star in a male-dominated sport, and she was the reason shooting became accessible to women all over the world. Today, she's remembered as a Western folk hero, an American legend. I mean, everyone knows her name, even if you don't know what she does. Like, clearly you recognize the name Annie Oakley, even if you thought she was a criminal. <laughs> yeah, I learned so much. <laughs> and yeah. So None of the story went like I thought it was going to go. Clearly. 
she had a super long career where she was really proud of the fact that she was dignified, proper, and like quietly better than most men in her field. It was really she went about her life. She wouldn't wear like garish costumes. She wouldn't like brag. She was just like, this is me shooting and I will show you that it is better than everyone else's. And during her long career, she performed for multiple presidents and royals all over the world, such as Queen Victoria and Kaiser Wilhelm II. Wow. Yeah. And just like a fun fact about her, her name is now synonymous with a free ticket because the free tickets that they used to have for circuses and things, they would always punch an extra hole in so that they wouldn't count them when they were trying to like figure out how much money they made for the night. And the tickets, the holes in them looked like the playing cards she was famous for shooting holes in. And so they would call them Annie Oakley tickets. Oh my god, that's so cute. Yeah, and just because of like how linguistics works, the name eventually extended to baseball, where now a walk is referred to sometimes as an Oakley because it's a free base. Huh. Yeah. Language is weird. It is. And a large part of the reason why her legacy has lasted this long is because she's like been all over popular media. She's had a few different movies made about her, a ton of books for both kids and adults, and most famously, she was the subject of Irving Berlin's hit musical, Annie Get Your Gun, from 1946, <laughs> which was based on her life story. Amazing. Yeah. And now, for something that has somehow become a tradition on this show without either of us really meaning to, the quote wall. <laughs> what did she say, Sam? She said that even in the best and most peacefully civilized countries, many occasions arise when a woman versed in the knowledge and use of firearms may find the information and skill of great importance. All right. And then she said, I would like to see every woman know how to handle guns as naturally as they know how to handle babies. Okay. Oh, you'll like this one. I ain't afraid to love a man. I ain't afraid to shoot him either. <laughs> <laughs> you do know me well every time you're like you're gonna like this I'm, I, I always do <laughs> and then she said aim for the high mark and you will hit it no not the first time not the second time and maybe not even the third but keep on aiming and keep on shooting for only practice will make you perfect finally you'll hit the bullseye of success Ah, nice and inspirational with that one yeah and then her last one, which, again, I think you'll like, is clearly society has a tremendous stake in insisting on a woman's natural fitness for the career of mother. The alternatives are all too expensive. <laughs> Still relevant today. And that is Annie Oakley. <laughs> I love it. I learned so very much, considering I didn't know anything at the <laughs> beginning. I'm glad you liked it. I think she's really cool. This went better than it would have gone if I had researched her. <laughs> I'm like, and where's the crime? The crime? No. Well, at least I didn't try and do that, like, anarchist that's on the list. Oh, she's coming. I know she is, but you have to do her. <laughs> that was always the plan. I, for those who are wondering, I was looking at the list of, like, possible episodes trying to decide who I wanted to do today, and I couldn't, like, make up my mind, and I saw a name I didn't recognize, so I looked it up, and it was, like, a German anarchist, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is for Ellen. 
Alright, anyway, Sam, you want to learn about something completely unrelated? Always. Alright, have you ever heard of quantum tunneling? Oh god, you actually did this. <laughs> I learned this. I know about quantum theory now. I'm sure you don't, but go for it. <laughs> no, no, I got this. Okay. Okay, so, first off, quantum physics is different than regular physics, or as they're called, classical physics. Okay, mm -hmm. so we're starting off with that. So, first off, we're going to imagine a ball that's between two barriers. All right. Now, if the energy, if the kinetic energy in the ball is not greater than the potential energy of the barriers, it can't get over the barriers, because that's how things work. All right. But, yes, Sam. Do you want to, like, explain what quantum physics is real quick before you, like, go into explaining the, like, mechanics of it? Quantum physics is the physics of very small particles, like atoms and protons and electrons. Okay, thank you. I just, I, I'm assuming our listeners might not know that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not everyone went to Georgia Tech. Doesn't everyone have a basic knowledge of quantum physics? No, I don't even have a basic knowledge of quantum physics, and I'm a photonics specialist. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, a ball is a solid object. Okay? It's very big. But, smaller things, like an electron, are very small. And you see, <laughs> we don't always know where electrons are. This is due to the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, where we can either know where something is or how fast it's going, not both. How are now, you doing this subject and I did astrology last week? <laughs> you have set the balance, Sam. <laughs> Clearly. Because we can't know where an electron is, what we do is we have a wave function of where the electron probably is. So, essentially, imagine the probability of where the electron is as a wave, like a wave of light or an electromagnetic wave or something. So, because this probability acts like a wave, we can do math with it like a wave. Alright. So, in this case, when the electron, we're going to say, hits that barrier. Now, first off, we have to have a few qualifiers. The barrier has to be, you know, finite, can't be an infinite barrier. Uh, the potential energy of this barrier has to be greater than the kinetic energy of our particle, which in this case is going to be our electron. And the particle has to have, has to have, you know, wave properties. Okay, so once you get all those suckers, we can have some quantum tunneling. So, the thing about waves is they're weird. Oh, really? Yes. Now, most of the time, if a wave bounces off something, it'll just reflect and go back to normal. However, waves don't like to stop, you see. If a wave hits something, a little bit of it is going to keep going. Now, we know this is true because of Schrodinger's equation. Schrodinger was the guy with the cat. However... <laughs> oh my god, the engineer in my soul is dying right now, Ellen. <laughs> This is all true, I did research. I know, but the way you're saying it, it's like, my Circuits 101 <laughs> class is killing me. Anyway. Oh my so god, you just uh, called Schrodinger the guy with the cat. I'm so dead. 
You would probably hate that. You might be rolling in his grave. Or you might not. I work with light waves for a living. Are <laughs> you going? Anyway, Schrodinger's equation says that waves don't like to stop dead when they hit a barrier. A little bit likes to keep going through that barrier. So that's fun for them. Mm-hmm. Now, it's a very small little bit, and it drops off exponentially. So there's not much of it. However, there's so many electrons, like a whole bunch of them. So if enough electrons are hidden a wall, and because where the electron is is determined by probability, there's a, by, you know, wave probability, there's a very small chance that the electron will just be on the other side of the barrier because, you know, that's what the wave, that's what the math comes out of. That's where the wave would be. So, in that case, we have an electron that has somehow almost teleported between a wall. We're not super sure how long this takes or, like, how it works. There's been conflicting reports. Some people say that it's instantaneous when it gets the other side of the wall. Another more recent study said that it took like 0.6 something milliseconds, which is absurdly slow for quantum nonsense. Did you have to read about the gold foil experiment to learn about this? No. Someone did some experiments with radon and putting them through lasers. Oh yeah, that's like a more modern day version of the gold foil experiment. This is like a really old experiment that I always enjoy from like my science history knowledge. Yeah. The gold foil experiment was when a scientist put like gold foil up against the wall and more or less just like shot particles at it and saw what went through it. And that's kind of how they found out that atoms can't touch each other and there's always like space between them is when like these particles were able to get through the gold foil without like oh. breaking it. Yeah. Cool. Okay, but anyway. <laughs> Sorry, I just... So Done. This is fun for me to see your understanding of like what I do. I think I covered the basics. Do you kind of know what quantum tunneling is now? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So now we're going to look at the implications of quantum tunneling. So imagine the sun. The sun <laughs> has a lot of little tiny particles and protons just messing around and fighting each other. But it's really hard for them to get next to each other because they're both positive particles and they don't like that. They repel. But due to some quantum tunneling nonsense, there's a small probability that they will randomly get close enough in which case the strong nuclear force will counteract the electromagnetic repulsion and then they'll form some fusion and then we get some helium which of course creates light and heat and the sun this is also very important in radioactive decay so if you have a very big <laughs> atom it's got a lot going on in there and there's a couple of alpha particles you know floating around within Oh, There's Ellen, a small what's an alpha particle? Ah, uh, fine. An alpha <laughs> particle is the largest piece of radiation. It's it's like two protons and two electrons. So it's like a helium particle, but not. It's very it's a bigger radioactive particle, 
So it'll still like hurt you if you get near the radiation, but you can stop it with like a piece of paper. So don't worry. Uh, I don't know if this is going to be as entertaining for anyone else as it is for me, but it's pretty entertaining for me. This is all spot on. None of this is wrong. I mean, nothing you've said has been like factually incorrect, <laughs> but like you've made every science teacher in the world like roll over. They might be rolling in their grave or they might not. It's like Schrodinger's cat. Anyway. <laughs> You're so exasperated. I wish our listeners could see the look on my face right now. <laughs> anyway, as I've said, it's very probable that these alpha particles are going to stay in that atom. But, again, because it's a probability wave, there's a small possibility that they won't. And then they will leave and the whole thing will uh, slowly decay and then you know it slowly becomes not radioactive and that's how radiation works yeah kind of all right yeah. this is somehow also very relevant for photosynthesis <laughs> but i think that's just that plants learned how to not be wasteful with their photosynthesis so even when the little particles are you know not where they're supposed to be because the probability says like one percent of the time they'll be over there they can still catch them because plants are smart plants are smart plants are so cool oh my god plant science is a passion <laughs> oh. yeah, i'm surprised you haven't had a plant hyperfixation yet well i kind of do science for like work so i don't always want to like do it for the podcast Ah, makes sense. Then I don't do plant science for work, so maybe I'll do some plant science. Alright, teach me about photosynthesis. Okay, I can do that. I mean, I can do that without looking it up, but I'll look it up one day for you. It's, apparently it's more complicated than I was taught in middle school. I mean, yeah, it's actually really cool. I did like a whole section in a biology class about photosynthesis last year, it was a good time. Oh, look, my cat found me. Oh, which cat? Minnie. Minnie. Minnie, do you miss me? She can't hear you. I'm wearing headphones, Sam. Oh, tell her I miss her. Okay, Minnie, Sam misses you. Minnie, you probably should leave. Get away from the microphone. Anyway. <laughs> okay. So, where were we? Oh, yes. The implications of... We were pretty much done. The implications <laughs> okay. of quantum tunneling. It could potentially uh, result in the universe, you know, having some life after the eventual heat death. Well, life is life is a strong word. Having some form of interactions after the heat death in the universe in which all the energy and entropy takes over and there's absolutely nothing and it's just particles moving slowly on their own forever. I like that we call it a heat death when really it's a lack of heat that's causing the death. Yeah. Well the the heat is dead. Yeah, but it like it the Picture heat. The words "heat death" put in my brain is like the opposite of what heat death means. Ah, I see. No, it's very cold. Yeah, I just I, every time I hear someone say "heat death of the universe," I'm like, that always gives me the opposite like image than it means. Anyway, so we could also take this to its logical conclusion, where if electrons act in a probability wave. Everything could act in a probability wave, but because we're so big, 
that the probability that we're somewhere else is just minuscule. So we're, we're stuck here. We are as here as it's physically possible to be. You know, since two atoms can never really touch, you've never really touched anything. Oh, God. Don't do this to me. <laughs> All right, and that is your quantum science today. You know what? Uh, thanks, Ellen. <laughs> <laughs> you learned something. Maybe. <laughs> so, Ellen, what did you learn today? I learned... Annie Oakley was a sharpshooting performer and not a vicious criminal. She also had a dog named Dave, who was instrumental in the war effort for World War I. I mean, yeah, you're right. Dave was an icon. I also learned that the real crime is libel. Oh, yeah, I did get you really hyped for that crime, and then it was liable. <laughs> what did you learn, Sam? I learned that you can learn about quantum tunneling on the internet. Yeah, and it was correct. Nothing was factually incorrect. <laughs> I had to look at Schrodinger's equation for this, Sam. Do you know what Schrodinger's equation looks like? It's horrible. Yes, I have taken, like, classes on it. <laughs> I'm getting a PhD in engineering. <laughs> so many parts. So many parts. Why can't physics just work like economies? Which makes sense. You know what? I think that's why you work in economics and I work in engineering. <laughs> economies are bullshit. <laughs> that could be a potentially interesting episode. We try to <laughs> explain each other's things. I got an A in Econ 101 that I had to take. Yeah, Econ 101. You know what? You just gave me Circuits 101. <laughs> and I deserve an A for that. Alright, well. I can Sam's explain a cost-benefit analysis curve. <laughs> Sam... Where where can you find this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Trying to make me do the plugs. You can find this podcast most places that you find podcasts. But most specifically, you can find us on Instagram at chaospodcast. Or you can email us at chaospodcast21 at gmail.com if you have any episodes, ideas, or just want to tell us your thoughts. We hope you enjoyed the chaos. Safe travels. Hey everyone, I'm Kelly. And I'm Emily, and we're from Whining About History. Ever notice how women seem to be missed, forgotten, or maybe even purposely left out of history books? We did, so we decided to take the his out of history and make it herstory. Each episode, we discuss the lives and general awesomeness of these historical wonder women, all while having a glass of wine. Or maybe a bottle. Come join us on all of your favorite podcast platforms at WAHpod on Instagram, WAH underscore pod on Twitter, and at whiningabouthistory.com. Remember, that's no H or E in whining. See you, See you soon. soon. Cheers! Cheers.